98.7 FM. FM, Arizona's sports station. Are you sitting comfortably? Yeah. Then I'll begin. Okay. Arizona sports goes local. Local. That is awesome. We're giving the mic to local hosts right here in Phoenix. Whoa, snap. Because what's a Saturday without sports? Nothing matters but the weekend. FM, Arizona's Sports Station. Arizona Sports Saturday. And a happy Saturday to all of you, wherever you may be listening. This is Arizona Sports Saturday. It is your weekend stop for live and local sports talk with... A little bit of outside sports mixed in in between. Mitch Vareldis, Steve Zinsmeister, we're back. Trevor Henry is back behind the glass. And we've got some sports on this Saturday, Steve. I mean... I mean, as good as Not sports much, can get at right? 11 <laughs> in the morning, I guess. We have, uh, we have a week two of the preseason football game to talk about. We have a Suns schedule to talk about. We have the new version of the Baby Backs to talk about. Yes. Some about college football stuff. But I do want to start with this. It It's one of my favorite times of the year, every year that we do it. Our annual give-a-thon for Phoenix Children's Hospital just wrapped up yesterday. Last night, about 6.30, we wrapped up. We set a record. But it wasn't because of us at the station. I want to make this very clear right now. This was not an us thing. This was a you thing. You listening right now, you listening all week, you donating all week. Yeah, and maybe you maybe you were listening to any of the sports shows on this station uh, throughout the week. Maybe you heard some on KTAR News 92.3, mm-hmm. and you thought, all right, great, I'm going to donate. But maybe you didn't hear the final, like, the final moments of last night's Giveathon, where we kind of revealed, like, $2 million, the largest Two radio million. Giveathon for a, Phoenix, uh, for a children's hospital in the country. It's the largest one. And what really stands out to me, Mitch, is that this happened... At a time when we're going through a probable recession, inflation. inflation to the degree that it's at, people are spending more now than ever on the most mundane things, the most basic needs of their lives. And a and lot of people still dealing with COVID-19. Sure, absolutely. Three years after the big we're shutdown. Still kind of in the pandemic. And so with all those factored in... We still had so many people that cared enough about the kids, that cared about providing for this hospital. We raised $2 million. That's about what it takes to run the hospital for a day. $2 million. One day. $38,532 was the final total after a week. Not even a week. Five days. Five days. Five days of donations. Five awesome days. We heard a lot of great stories, a lot of really strong kids that are going through some tough stuff. And you guys, our listeners, you made it possible. So Again, I want to say thank you. Wasn't us. It was you. No. We didn't do anything. We just we just sat and put buttons, Steve and I anyway. But awesome experience. Awesome to set a record. And all of that is because of you. So we just wanted to start off with thank yous there. And then tomorrow, there could be another record setting streak that has to be worried about here. Although one far less impactful. Steve, did you know that the Baltimore Ravens, the Arizona Cardinals opponent tomorrow, have won 21 straight preseason games? When does that date back to? 21? 21. That dates back to 2016. That's like five or six years of 
preseason victories. Right. So what am I to draw from that? What conclusion am I supposed to have? I'll, I'll help you. Okay. Nothing. Yeah, I was going to say, that means nothing to me in terms... Because preseason wins and losses don't matter. No. It's more about what you're accomplishing in those games, who stands out. Position battles are always a thing in the 100%, preseason. 100%. And the number one thing about preseason is staying healthy. 100%. And that's why none of the starters are playing. And look, you and I talked about it last week. If you're a guaranteed starter in the NFL, I personally don't want you playing. Some teams feel differently about that. Like... We've got Bills Broncos on here. Josh Allen was out there for a series or two. I'm sure that was it for him in the preseason. But even so, those are they're just things you don't want to risk in this game. And a lot of money is generated throughout the regular season and not the preseason. I feel like the preseason needs to be more of that who's going to make those final 53 spots rather than hey, Kyler Murray, we just want you to get a couple of reps out there. And if you look bad, the sports radio stations are going to talk about it for a week. Because that was this last year. I didn't want that this year. And we're not going to get that this year, and I'm totally fine with it. All right, so while we're diminishing the value of a preseason football game, let me walk you through a couple of things that I'm hoping to see tomorrow. Okay. These are just a few of the things, and a lot of them are based on what we saw in preseason game number one. Because keep in mind, not a lot of starters are going to be playing, if any at all. No. Number one. Demu definitely had a breakout game in the first preseason game. I think he had, what was it, two tackles for a loss, one two sack. Sacks. Two sacks. Okay, mm-hmm. so really strong performance in week one of the preseason. That's a room, like the pass rush game, I'm, I'm still very interested to find out what that looks like. I saw a quote from, I think it was Devon Kennard today or this week, talking about this is the best the outside linebacker room has looked. I can't really buy into that without Chandler Jones in town, who's one of the best pass rushers of the last decade. Well, this is going to be the conversation for a while until we figure out who's actually going to, quote-unquote, replace Chandler Jones. Right. This is what we're left to assume. And Dima Cage, is in his second year. He was, you know, not really utilized all that much on the defense heavily last year because there were other linebackers they wanted to get out there, specifically Zayvon Collins and Isaiah Simmons. But if Demacage can replicate a performance from last week to this week, he it increases his odds tenfold. Definitely of making, yeah, definitely of making the team. I don't know what that role looks like during the regular season. But anyway, Demacage number one. Uh, we're hearing a lot about Trey McBride, the early draft pick. What was he? Second round second draft rounder. pick, first tight end off the board in this past draft at a position that the Cardinals didn't really need. They have not immediately. Uh, no. They have Max Williams, who we'll see if he comes back and plays this year. He's been injured, um, but played very well last season before his injury. They have Zach Ertz locked up for the next few seasons, so they didn't need a tight end. But the Cardinals went out and got the best possible tight end in the draft at I think it was the fifty fifth pick or something like that, and so it's a weapon that they'd like to have available for Kyler Murray. I'm interested to see what he's got. So that's a debut that I'm interested in. Matt Prater is he going to calm down oh in week gosh. two? I hope so. Because week one, he misses the first kick of the season. Ended up missing two. I believe they were both extra points. It's not something I'm worried about going into the regular season. It's more or less just, is he going to clean it up? I'll say this. If he misses extra points again in this game, I think the Cardinals need to consider putting somebody else on the roster. Not like... They need to find an immediate replacement for Matt Prater, but... Somebody put some pressure they, on him? Exactly. Right. They need to find somebody else who can say, like, all right, hey, you're missing the easy stuff, and we're not going to sit on that and watch you just miss opportunities for us to, 
you know, lose games. Like, we've seen it several times, Steve. One point matters a lot more in the NFL than it did a few years ago. One point matters a lot in the NFL. If you're going to be playing close games, you're going to need your kicker to be on. 100%. And Matt Prater, for what it's worth, he's built a career on this. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm not here to slander Matt Prater. Well, sure. So did Adam Vinatieri. And then we saw what happened when he went downhill in Indianapolis. Sure. So did Greg Zerline. The career, he was Legatron in LA. He was. What a great nickname. He had nothing in Dallas. And then they ended up cutting him. Like, eventually, some of these kickers, if they don't stay consistent, they don't hang around for much longer. I want to give credit to our buddy Luke Lipinski. Uh, I heard him say this earlier in the week, and I think it's a nice headline. Uh, Zavin versus the Ravens. Hmm. And when I think of the Ravens, I know it's a preseason game, so it's a little different. But when I think of the Ravens, I think of a, I think of their ground game. I think of the running game. Very much. They have a stable of running backs. They can never seem to be all healthy at the same time. But they usually have a lot of running backs. They have Lamar Jackson, who is arguably, probably not even arguable. He's probably the best running quarterback in the league. I don't expect him to play, but this is a running football team. They pound the rock. And so, as a defense, I'm interested to see Zayvon Collins and what he can do in stopping the run in this game, assuming that that's what the Ravens are going to do. And last week, there's not really a lot of statistics to look at from Zayvon Collins, and maybe that's just because we didn't really see much of him. He didn't he didn't flash, I guess would be the term that you could use. He didn't do anything explosive. I guess I'm assuming he's going to play he more? He was just kind of out there. Well, I'll tell you what. I pulled up the depth chart for this Sunday. Zayvon Collins is listed as the f- a first-string inside linebacker with Ezekiel Turner. Okay. Uh, other notable names uh, specific to comments that were made this week. Antonio Hamilton and Marco Wilson are listed as the starting cornerbacks. Cliff Kingsbury earlier in the week had mentioned that Antonio had done a really good job impressing in camp and even pushed it to the point that he might be their second cornerback. He even locked that up, which is huge for Antonio if he can get that. And then I'm noticing Will Hernandez is probably going to get another start at right guard, although he looks like the obvious option at right guard right now. I don't think he needs it. And then Cole McCoy is listed at the top of this uh depth chart, how much he'll play, I don't know. It'll likely be heavy Trace and Jarrett. Yeah, I'm interested to see a little bit of Colt. Maybe you get a drive or maybe even two, but um, I don't need to see too much of him. But Colt McCoy, keep this in mind, at the time when Kyler was injured last season, Colt McCoy held it down for the Cardinals. He did. Two and and one. That's something that they haven't really had, like a reliable backup since probably Drew Stanton's days where he was one of the best backups in the league. So I, I am interested a little bit to see Colt McCoy. And the last thing I'll say is... I'm hearing that Kyler Murray might call some more plays this week. Last week we talked about that and why Cliff gave him that opportunity. Mm-hmm. And we kind of chalked it up as maybe like uh, humbling him a bit. Like, hey, it's not as easy as you thought, huh? Yeah. But if he does it two weeks in a row, now I'm starting to wonder, what is this the answer? What question is this the answer to? You see what I'm saying? Like, why do we need Kyler Murray to be calling plays right now? What is the problem we're trying to solve? And I think maybe we can get into that a little bit more later. Coming up next, we can't ignore them any longer. The Arizona Diamondbacks, they're not only playing well, they're having fun doing it. That's next on Arizona Sports Saturday. 98.7 FM, Arizona's Sports Station. Arizona Sports Saturday. Welcome back to Arizona Sports Saturday. Steve Zinsmeister, Mitch Vareldis with you, Trevor Henry behind the glass. I wanted to do the whole show on baseball. Mitch said no. 
Do not throw me under the bus. <laughs> yeah. uh, we do love baseball here on this show, so Very we figured much. there is something that we need to talk about here. The Diamondbacks have entered a new era, and it is the Stone Age. <laughs> <laughs> Stone Garrett. <laughs> Probably the coolest name in baseball right now is Stone Garrett. You know, it's funny, though. It feel, the That statement almost makes it seem like they're taking a step backwards. Oh, given okay. The Stone well, Age was so long ago. No, no, no. What I just I'm, meant it as a pun. What I'm getting at is I love the play on words and I love the pun, but it's also funny that here we are talking about a team that has, what is it? They have 16 wins since the break, and... The joke that we're making is they're going backwards in time. Yeah, I love well, it. listen, Fine. I want to put this in the right context, right? So the Diamondbacks are 55 and 64. They're 27 and a half games back of the Dodgers. So I, I'm not saying that, like, this is the greatest Diamondbacks team on the face of the earth, but there's some really yes, good, is. bright signs right now. Oh, 100%. Stone Garrett, if I wouldn't blame you if you didn't know who that is. I've been excited about this guy all season because he's been mashing the baseball in Reno. Coolest him. baseball name, by the way. Coolest name. But aside from that, eight seasons in the minor leagues, and Stone Garrett this season has almost 30 home runs in Reno, 90-plus RBIs, showing a ton of power, plays a position third base that the Diamondbacks have kind of struggled with this season when Josh Rojas wasn't uh, healthy. The Diamondbacks are kind of becoming the new version of the Babybacks. You've got Stone Garrett, who just came up. Corbin Carroll is quickly on his way. Top prospect in baseball right now. Your outfield consists of four or five guys who are in their mid to low 20s. Dalton Varsho's out there. Alec Thomas might be the best defensive center fielder in the game right now. Jake McCarthy's been playing really well. This is a really exciting time for the Diamondbacks. And we know it's not going to lead to anything this year in terms of... The postseason. I know you mentioned 27 back of the Dodgers. Look, we all know that the NL West is already gone and spoken for. Even in the wild card, though, there are, what is it, nine or eight back of the next closest team. It's it's highly unlikely, but it's not out of the realm of possibility. They are but, nine and a half. But we're also back. comparing it to a season where this year they've already surpassed last year's win total of what was it, 54, 52? So, of course, we're excited about this year's team because they've significantly improved upon last year. But at the same time, they're also playing with a bunch of exciting players that you've already listed off many of them. And it is more appealing to, say, the average baseball fan or even the devoted Diamondbacks fan. It's a lot easier to get invested in a team when there's players to actually invest in. A year ago at this time, we were having a conversation here on this show at the end of last season about the future of Tori Lovello. At the time, his contract was coming up. They had to make a decision. You were the second worst team in baseball, or maybe I think tied with the Orioles, but the Orioles got the number one pick on a, basically a technicality. Those jerks. Um, but we had the conversation about Tori Lovello's future, and at the time, you could have Argued either way. Get rid of the guy because you're the worst team in baseball. Yep. Keep the guy because there's low expectations anyway. Who yep. are you going to get anyway? And the Diamondbacks made the decision to bring Tory Lovello back, which to me signified that he was not going to be judged on wins and losses this season, but rather how the team improves with young players being molded, uh, folded into the mix. And as it turns out, it was the right decision. Can we agree? Well, they're on pace to be 20 games better than last season. Okay, I, I So wins at, and losses, that's a plus. I don't want to look at it like that. I want to look at it about the guys. Okay. Okay. Because I think we can both agree that this record is not going to be meaningful 
once the season's over. It'll be better, like, but not meaningful. Like, yeah. sure, that'll get to 70-plus wins, but, like, are we going to care? No, not really. How'd the team do? How does the team look? How does the team feel? What direction are you going? Are you confident in what Tori Lovello is doing on a day-in, day-out for this baseball team? And I think the answer is yes. You have to be confident. Gambo had put some reporting out earlier in the week that they're going to wait until the end of the season. But the argument is, like, if you know you want to keep him, why are we waiting? Or if you know you don't want to keep him, why are you waiting? I think it makes well, more sense if you're not going to keep him to wait. But if you are going to keep him, what are you waiting for? My argument to wait, I not that I expect this to happen or that it's all that common, but there's always the chance that something happens. Like, remember that time in Boston with Terry Francona where they were on a good trajectory and then in the last three weeks to four weeks – the whole last, basically September, they just fell apart. Okay, could but, not win a baseball game. But with there's always a chance. With everything happens. we've seen from this team, are we expecting that to happen? No, are no, I'm not expecting that it. to happen. But there's always a chance that something could happen in the next month that changes your mind. I don't expect that to happen, but it's possible. I'm with you. I think that at this point, based on what we know about last season, that let's say the premise is that you're not going to judge Tory on wins and losses, but rather the growth of the young players on this team. All signs point to that's happening. I feel really good about Dalton Varsho in the corner outfield. I feel really good about Alec Tom- very good about Alec Thomas in center field. The bat needs to come around, but outside he's got of that time drop he had in center field the other day. Eh, well, it happens. But it he happens. also robbed a home run to win a game. So oh, yeah. I, th- I think it all comes out in the wash. Uh, I feel really confident that Corbin Carroll is going to be up in the next couple weeks, and that's a top prospect in baseball, not yep. just for the Diamondbacks. In baseball. Some have said the best in baseball. Jake McCarthy has grown leaps and bounds this year. Uh, Geraldo Perdomo, while he's not hitting, I feel pretty confident that shortstop can be locked down, even if Nick Ahmed comes back in spring training. In general, the defense this year has been absurdly good. Yeah. I feel pretty confident about the direction of the team, which to me means Tori Lovello should probably be back. I don't, I, don't, I don't see a glaring reason to get rid of him. I know you and I are convinced, but I want to back my argument further. Zach Gallen was on with Bickley and Murata yesterday. He was on with them yesterday. Two cuts. One, talking about how the clubhouse has really gelled together, and he's happy to be a part of it. I'd say it's, it's probably, um, you know, the, the closest clubhouse I've been in, um, just in the sense that, you know, you're getting a lot of these guys now who, who've played with each other in the minor leagues and are familiar with each other. Um, so I think that might just be the biggest thing. But, I, I mean, as a whole, um, you know, we all like to hang out with each other, um, you know, in the clubhouse, um, you know, go to dinner or whatever it might be. Like, you know, guys just enjoy each other's company. So I think you're starting to see that kind of gelling. And more on the young team playing well as they're growing together. You got young guys coming up now that are getting comfortable, playing well, um, showing that they belong, and, and I think you, you're seeing that on the field. I mean, granted, there are some times where, you know, we, we make some, some young mistakes and whatnot, but for the most part, uh, you see those young guys starting to get comfortable and, and playing well. Now, look, there's not a mention of Tory in either one of those bites, but I feel like there's an implication that if you're having a good time in the clubhouse, a big part of that is how the manager is relaying messages to the team. Yeah, and I think that having a team filled with young players that all came up together like Zach was talking about there, that can go one of two ways. And usually it goes the bad way. It goes south. It goes the south way, which is you make a lot of those rookie mistakes. Guys don't really catch on at the major league level. They can't hit. 
in their first couple of seasons, and then they just kind of fade to black. And then you're stuck filling holes in free agency. Or it can go the other direction, which I think is the direction that we're currently heading, which is where you see a lot of the upside, where they show off their youth and athleticism, like I think Alec Thomas has done a great job of doing in center field. And Geraldo Perdomo has done a pretty good job defensively at shortstop. Two key defensive positions. Mm -hmm. I think that that's the direction this is heading. I think that Torrey Lavello deserves another shot because I don't see a reason to get rid of him. I don't see a reason that they could walk into the room right now and be like, Torrey, you did this wrong, and that's why we're letting you go. I mean, like, here's the base question. If you're the ownership group, or if you're the GM Mike Hazen, and you're wondering whether or not to keep Torrey Lavello... Who would you rather have fronting this club for the years to come? Do you want it to be Tori Lovello, or do you have confidence in somebody else to do it? Because I think, quite frankly, if you want a comparison, this is the D-backs' equivalent of the Monty Williams bubble season. And I think Tori Lovello, if he's kept around, he can keep growing this team to the level that the Suns did the very next year right after the bubble with Monty Williams. That's an interesting comparison, because... The way I think of that analogy is you're in a season where, no, we're not necessarily in the playoffs. Nope. There's no end game where we finish the season champions, probably more than likely. Nope. Uh, but you could end the season on a high note. Absolutely. Eight bubble wins for the Suns. I don't know what September looks like wins and losses wise for the Diamondbacks, but I think it's a win if you call up Corbin Carroll and he performs pretty well in his first month and you don't send him back down. That's a win. These guys continue to impress in their roles. That's a win. By the way, Christian Walker is like a top five player in baseball. In the he last should win the gold two, glove three this year. Weeks. But as of right now, he's not even getting noticed. Well, he's one of those guys that like hits two thirty, like two twenty right it's now. A I very think he's leading two twenty and two thirty. Yeah, though. but he's got a ton of pop. I don't know, man. They should they should try to hold on to him in the offseason. We can go more into that later. How will a brand new mega media deal impact college football? And more specifically, does it impact Arizona State? More on that on the way on Arizona Sports Saturday. 98.7 FM, Arizona's Sports Station. It's Arizona Sports Saturday. Mitch Ferreldis, Steve Zinsmeister, Trevor Henry, spinning them beats behind the glass for us here on this Arizona Sports Saturday. Fly from the Akchin Community Studios. I'm just going to read the first couple of graphs, Steve. Just feel free to interrupt whenever. Uh, here we go. The Big Ten's new $7 billion media rights deal string the, top, the conference's top football games across three major networks each week, creating an NFL-style television schedule on Saturdays. Big Ten announced it reached a seven-year agreement with Fox, CBS, and NBC to share Wait a minute. Okay. Wait a minute. Go the ahead. Big Ten is going to be on three networks and the Pac-12 is not even on one? <laughs> We're on a cable basically. access channel and the Big Ten is on three different television networks? So, in fairness... And the Big Ten network? This will go into effect next year, but just imagine... Come a, on. Just imagine a Saturday you're flipping through basic cable. That's the big thing here that you mentioned. Basic cable. And there'll be a Big Ten game You don't even here. need to pay for these There'll networks. be a Big Ten game there. There'll be a Big Ten game there. Meanwhile, you don't know where the hell the Pac-12 network is. No. What channel is it? What time is it on? Is it in my subscriber package? If you even subscribe to cable anymore, or streaming service, whatever it is. If, the Pac- if, you're, the, if you're the Pac-12, if you're ASU, you're like, holy crap. 
Yeah, you're late to the table. I mean, Very we, late. we've been talking about this for a long time. When you when UCLA and uh, USC left for the Big Ten, what was that? A couple weeks ago, mm-hmm. when that whole thing happened. I mean, they haven't officially moved yet. It was just kind of announced. When we talked about that initially, I said the same thing. You're late to the table if you're the Pac-12. Not only should you have been looking at expanding, which is what they're talking about now as a possibility, you're too late, but you should have been thinking about how best to keep the schools that you already have happy and to keep them here and to improve the situation here. Because now you're in a scenario where the Big Ten, by the way, they earned this media deal. 100%. Nobody, this is an open market situation. This is capitalism. You get paid a lot of money when you have a good product. They have a good product. All three of those networks wanted to work something out. <laughs> they just made out. it better. Like in 2024, it might be the best conference in football. I don't know that a, a couple of weeks ago even, I could have imagined all three of those networks wanting to share in a product like the Big Ten football games. I don't know that – has that ever this happened feels before? Very weird. You're right. Yeah. Why are three major networks all sharing one conference? Because they can all get a slice of the pie. I know why they want to do it. Well, it's not just, just the networks, normally too. They don't want the other networks to be a part of it. Apparently, there's something else in here that the conference's soon-to-be 16-member universities will get to share more than a billion per year. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Just wow. Exactly. And here we are in the Pac-12, which is kind of the Pac-10 now or whatever it is. I'm not even sure. The Conference of Champions. We'll quickly become the Pac-4, I'm sure. Uh, All of these schools are going to be put in a position where they have to decide, do we go somewhere else? Do we go to the Big Ten? Do we go to the Big 12? But here's the problem. If you're ASU, which I think is one of the furthest east of all the schools left in the Pac-12, you have to be wanted You can't just decide that you're going to up and move to the Big Ten. The Big Ten has to want you. Right. You can't just decide, oh, we're going to go to the Big 12 and we're going to pair up with whatever they have left there. Oklahoma State? Houston? Baylor? I don't know. You have to be wanted. And right now, all these other conferences, specifically the Big Ten, they're moving on without you right now. You know what's funny? This is kind of a quick tangent, but... What made USC so appealing before the Lincoln-Riley hire? The L.A. market? Like, in all honesty, I don't think that these deals get done in a day. No, 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 I don't think negotiations are done in a day. Long time coming. Lincoln-Riley wasn't hired until the college football offseason, which was, what, February? What was appealing about USC before the Lincoln-Riley hire? Or was it just, oh, shoot, they hired Lincoln-Riley and he brought, like, 50% 50% of his crew from Oklahoma with him. No, I don't think he played a big role in that move. I think it's the L.A. market. It's a television market. It's a media market. It's a recruiting base that the Big Ten doesn't have. I mean, you now have home base on the West Coast in the Big Ten. I mean, some I Big Ten it, schools already did well on the West Coast. I just find it funny that record-wise, USC has been like subpar to poor year after year after year. But there's history. There's history. Like, I know it's not recent what, like history. The other schools don't? No, but I mean, like, they added Rutgers. What history, what appeals to you about Rutgers? Is the fact that it's in New York, probably. They added uh, Maryland a couple of years ago. They added Nebraska, which is a big program. I'll grant you that, but it's in the middle of nowhere. What's, but, Nebraska- you're asking me what's sexy about USC. There's a lot of stuff. Personally, I get why they wanted USC and UCLA. They own LA now. The Big Big Ten owns the biggest market in the Pac-12. Think about that. Uh, Look, if I'm ASU, I'm I'm mad. And if if I'm a fan or if I'm a donor, I'm 
furious. So here's the thing. You had a head coach that produced back-to-back 10-win seasons. And then, you know... talking about Todd Graham? Todd Graham. And then there was some inner turmoil. There was, you know, the the piss-poor records the year after the 10-win seasons. And you had to move on. I get it. But then to flaunt the fact that you want a top 15 program, you want a top three conference team... I don't think Herm Edwards was the sexy hire you thought it was. Well, what is we it? could talk all day about why Herm Edwards hasn't and really the, worked and out. And the most that they've gotten out of it is, I think, a nine-win season. I don't even know if they've gotten to double-digit wins under Herm Edwards. I can't remember. Because there have been so many frustrating losses with this program since Herm got hired that they've come nowhere close to being a top-15 program or a top-three Pac-12 school. Nowhere close. Like, ASU screwed this up. Badly. And now as a result, you're watching the other conferences reap the rewards of not only pawning off a couple of schools that were in your conference, but now this mega deal where they're going to be getting the exposure on a weekend basis. To answer your question, okay, four, four full seasons as head coach. Okay. Uh, Herm Edwards had seven wins, eight wins, two wins. That was the weird year. And then eight wins. He's 25 and 18. But he does have a Sun Bowl win. I don't like so. Let's give him that. I don't like twenty five and eighteen, and I don't like going to El Paso or Las Vegas every single year. Eight wins is the most that they've had in a season under Herm. What's up, Trev? To answer your question, I just think I don't know, man. This is a bad direction for the Pac twelve because the more and more we look at this, the Big Ten is just sweeping up everything. Whether it's the media rights, it's the schools, it's the television markets. Uh, it'll be the coaching hires. That'll be the next thing. Every coach is going to want to go to the Big Ten. What coach is going to want to go to the Pac-12 right now? The only one that came was Lincoln Riley, and they immediately up and left for the Big Ten. Yeah, I remember he made the joke at media days, like, I'm I'm excited to do my first of these. Well, first of two, I guess. By the way, talking about uh, coaches on the move, did you see Urban Meyer's back on Fox? Stop. Does he stop? Does he deserve that? No. But it tells me it tells you something though. It tells me that no matter what you did wrong in football, if you win football games, there is a place for you. Somewhere. Jim Tressel got popped at Ohio State for whatever it is that ended up happening at Ohio State. Players selling tattoos and all that other stuff. <laughs> and what happened to Jim Tressel? He gets pushed out at Ohio State. He becomes the president of the university at Youngstown State. There's always a home for you. Look at all the other guys that have done stuff wrong. Even Art Bryles got another gig eventually. Mike Leach locked a kid in a, uh, in a shed at Texas Tech, and then he went on to the Wazoo, and then eventually the SEC. Mississippi State, yeah. I mean, like, Urban Meyer's back on Fox already after the worst tenure as a head coach in NFL history? He didn't even make it like five weeks before there was turmoil. That is amazing to me. But he's one of the greatest college football coaches of all time. And a scumbag. Well, yeah. <laughs> There's your lesson, That's kids. the nice way of putting it. If you're it. a scumbag but you're successful at your job, you'll make it anywhere in this business. Yeah, that's got to be super motivating for the future. By the way, I watched the Manti Teo documentary I that's did on as Netflix. Well. Untitled. Um, it's so fascinating. So, obviously, I remembered the story, right? And for those of you who don't remember, Manti Teo, probably the best defensive player in college football in the last, I don't know, 10 to 15 years. Mm-hmm. Um, 
almost won the Heisman as a middle linebacker. I mean, tell me the last time that happened. And his uh, girlfriend and her supposed girlfriend and grandmother died on the same day. And then he proceeded to have one of the greatest college football seasons of all time. Mm-hmm. And then we found out later his girlfriend was not real. And then he got catfished. And everybody thought that he was a part of it. Mm, and yeah, and that was a part of it, there too. Was a big, it was never confirmed in the reporting, but like they all thought, like, did he just make this up? To and like He like slides in the NFL draft oh, a little bit. Wow. And then he starts his NFL career. I mean, it was a fascinating documentary. And there's so many things in there that just jogged my memory. And and I thought, wow, that is just the craziest sports story. It might be one of the craziest sports stories of all time. And there's a lot of them. Maybe. But just watching that, I don't know what you thought of it, but like watching that, I thought to myself, man, there was so much happening behind the scenes that we didn't know about. That we never could have known about. That Manti couldn't even explain himself. Getting calls from your dead girlfriend that, that you thought she was dead and you're getting phone calls from her? No, the, fa- the fact that Ronaya was able to catfish with someone that he had like a separate sort of communication with the whole time. Yeah, and like the person wasn't just catfishing in one character, but like no. two or three. No, it was, oh my God. And that one of the most popular football players in America, in the world, was the one who fell for it. And you feel bad for the guy. Like at the end of the documentary, I feel bad for Manti because he just seems like a great dude who is just trying to help people and be be a nice guy. And he just fell for one of the biggest hoaxes in the history of sports. In the history of catfishing. He will forever be the face of getting catfished. And it's unfortunate that that happened that way. Well, at least it's a good looking face. Manti's face? Yes. Okay. Well, yeah. Just putting it out there. Coming up next. Great documentary. We were waiting for it last week, but now it is here. The NBA schedule is out. And the Suns opening set of games. Oof, it's a doozy. Next on Arizona Sports Saturday. Arizona Sports goes local. It's Arizona Sports Saturday. 98.7 FM. Arizona's Sports Station. Hey, thanks for checking out Arizona Sports Saturday. Steve Zinsmeister and Mitch Vereldis with you. Last week, Mitch, you had a theory. Your theory was, don't let me speak for you, but this is what I remember. Your theory was that the NBA schedule was put off, not announced at that time because Kevin Durant was still trying to figure out where he's going to play basketball. Well, it just felt really late, for one, at least on the calendar year and with the fact that training camp's only a couple of weeks away from right. the NBA. And we know that they always schedule these big games around, like, where are the big star players mm-hmm. and storylines. Oh, interesting tidbit I've got for you later on that, though. Okay. And then the Good second tease. thing is, like, they're waiting on one of the biggest players in the game to figure out where he's going to be, is he going to be somewhere else, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, and, like, that's huge from a marketing standpoint, and that's huge from a monetary standpoint. Because I think that the bigger networks are not going to be so apt to take a team that is w- probably going to be without its best player. So only a matter of <laughs> hours after we talked about it last week, we did end up getting the NBA schedule this week. And I'm looking at the Phoenix Suns schedule. And while we don't need to go through every single game and go, oh, okay, is this a win or a loss? Mm-hmm. I think there are some conclusions that can be drawn from this. The obvious one is opening night. You're facing the Dallas Mavericks. 100%. Tell me that that's not brilliant. Obviously, this is the team that uh, we are most salty about 
right now in, in well, Arizona the, sports. The wound is still healing or uh, trying to heal. As you know, I've talked about it many times. I went to that game seven. Yes. Probably the worst game I've ever been to in terms of fandom. Probably the most salty I've ever felt. Probably the most times I've ever laughed during a sporting event because of just how comical the basketball was on the floor that I was watching. Yeah. Um, it makes all the sense in the world that the NBA would pair up the Dallas Mavericks and the Phoenix Suns. Whether, for either fan base, because from Dallas's perspective, beating Phoenix was the pinnacle. That was the best team in the NBA. I don't think anybody expected Dallas to be competitive in that series. And they wiped the floor with the Suns in Game 7. Tight series, not even close in Game (laughs) 7. From the Suns' perspective, you have an opportunity to get a little bit of revenge. And I think that's what a lot of fans are going to be expecting on opening night. you get to do it right out of the gate. Like, that's just the majesty of opening night. Now, are we going to feel this way once opening night hits and then passes? Like, are we still going to feel that saltiness about Dallas when it's all said and done? Yeah, I will. When when the game starts, yeah, I'm still feeling it. Okay. What about when it's over? If they are you going to be like, oh my gosh, we avenged that game seven loss and got and are getting blown out of the playoffs as the number one seed? Winning opening night was the only thing that mattered to me. Like, no, it would feel good. Sure, but I I won't feel like we just. But it doesn't feel accomplished any sort of huge goal. I mean, right. it's the first game. There's, what, 82 of these throughout the year? Like, Yeah, it's a long way to go after that. I think one thing that last season put in perspective for me, with the Suns being far and away the best team in the regular season, which has never really happened in my lifetime nope. with the Phoenix Suns. No. It's a great accomplishment. It means almost nothing when you get to the playoffs, other than you have home court advantage, which is good. I, you'd rather have it than not. But... If I had my choice between last season's regular season and being the best in the league in the regular season, or maybe you're the third, fourth seed, but you go a little deeper in the playoffs and you have a real chance at contending, like you don't fall apart like they did against the Mavericks, I'd pick that every day of the week because I don't want to see that happen again. And I know that this window for the Suns might be a tight one with Chris Paul being the age that he currently is and falling apart the way that he did in that series. Whether it was COVID or... Just getting old overnight, I don't know. I don't know what the answer to all that was. It looks like it, they had a big COVID problem, but at the same time, you, everyone has those issues. It's no longer an excuse. So opening night against Dallas, yeah, it's going to be entertaining. It's going to be entertaining as hell, but does it mean a whole lot in the grand scheme of things? No, probably not. I just, I don't know if I'm going to feel the same kind of satisfaction beating them opening night. I'd feel that same satisfaction when I get to the postseason, get to face Dallas again, and kick their ass, basically. That's when I'm going to feel satisfaction. Now, it is a great selling point to have it opening night. Like, hey, here's the last team that you faced in the playoffs, sons. And you get them at home. And you get to boo the crap out of Luka Doncic as much as you want. But like you said, there's 81 more games after that. I don't know how much it's going to carry. Didn't JaVale McGee go to the Mavericks? He did, but like what? That's not a huge name or anything. No. And I, I would totally never knock a player for taking the money or whatever the case may be. But at the same time, if you beat that team, then you can look at JaVale and say, hey, you sure you wanted to do that? Right. <laughs> look All what right. we're building over here. Quick tidbit here, and this will help me get to the point that I teased earlier. 34 nationally televised games for the Suns. 11 on ESPN, 9 on TNT, 2 on ABC, and then if you want to include 12 that are on NBA TV, that gives you 34. That's, wow, that's a lot. 
You know how many the Brooklyn Nets have this year? Oh, no. I don't. You have a guess? Less than 34. Much less. 18? A little bit less. They have 13 national games this year. What are we? What conclusion can we draw from that? They don't know whether or not Kevin Durant's going to be there. That's my assumption. That's fascinating. I they wonder went if from the league 26 is, last year to 13. I wonder if the league hedged their bet a little bit and gave the Suns a few extra games in the event that Kevin Durant does go. There's still well, a chance that. Kevin just, Durant could be a Phoenix Sun. Not even that. I just feel like the Suns are a good enough team to put on national TV 34 times. Oh, yeah, they're already they the good. They're the best regular season team. Yeah, they're already good. They've got the dude on the cover of NBA 2K this year. And a Hall of Fame point guard. And I know for all the drama that happened with DeAndre Ayton, but still, very good player. Mikel Bridges is a top five defensive player in the league. Yeah, it's a darn good team. No doubt about it. They deserve to be on TV, on uh, national TV as much as possible. But that's an interesting point you bring up. Is the league <laughs> predicting that Kevin Durant might not be a Brooklyn Net much longer? Or they're just doing this as a, hey, we're covering our butts just in case Kevin Durant doesn't want to be a net anymore and they've already made it clear that he's not but at the same time I think people are kind of done with Brooklyn's drama. Well they get two of their three star players don't love basketball that's pretty hard and I'll just keep coming back to that. He does Ben love, Simmons hasn't played basketball in he almost does two love years. green leather jackets though we've got that going for Kyrie him. Irving's trying to write it into his contract that he doesn't have to play back to backs just just cause not yes, because he's old like Dwayne Wade. Remember when Dwayne Wade did that? But that was because he literally could not play in back-to-backs. Right. There was a reason that they did that. He had a health issue. Like Kyrie Irving, yeah, it's just because he doesn't love basketball. That's my opinion. By the way, looking at the schedule for the Suns, the first five games... It's a doozy. It's kind of a gauntlet. You got Dallas, then Portland, which I still think is a... is a Not a contender, but they're a good team. The LA Clippers should be much better. Golden State... Obvious. And then New Orleans, who put up a good fight in the first round against the Suns last year and are getting better. That's a like, gauntlet in the first five games. Those are all potential playoff teams in the West. All and of if, them. And if you look at the first 11 games, I would say nine of them are tough because games 8 through 11 are Portland, Portland, Philadelphia, and Minnesota. Minnesota might be really good. I mean, they spent a lot to get Rudy Gobert, so that's their assumption, too. Coming up next on Arizona Sports Saturday, we're going to go around the NFL in the way that only we can. Big headline of the week. I know, I know. Deshaun Watson. What happened and was it enough? We're going to get into it next on Arizona Sports Saturday.